Hello, and welcome to the Photography Horizons podcast. My name is Bob Shank, and this is the third episode of this podcast. Today we are going to talk about wildlife photography and what is required to get into this specific type of photography. We will begin by discussing the camera gear you need to get started. Then we will discuss some tips and techniques for shooting animals with your camera. Finally, we will talk a little bit about possible destinations. But first, let's look at what's on the horizon this week. The Worldwide Photo Walk, sponsored by Scott Kelby, is scheduled for the first weekend in October. You will find a walk in your area by going to www.worldwidephotowalk.com. These photo walks are local gatherings of photographers who enjoy being together as they walk through a neighborhood or park, take photographs, and then gather at a local restaurant afterward to share their experience. I am hosting one of these participating walks in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, on Saturday, October 1st, starting at 5.30 p.m. This will be my third year leading the photo walk, and it is a lot of fun. You get to meet fellow photographer enthusiasts and enjoy sharing our common interests together. To find out more about this photo walk, or to sign up, go to our show notes page. Nikon announced a new camera, the J1. It is what they call the Nikon One system. This is a camera that tries to combine the great features of a DSLR into a point-and-shoot style camera. It does have removable and interchangeable lenses, which is nice. However, the digital sensor is quite small, and I personally don't think this will affect the DSLR market much, if at all. I will not purchase this particular camera, but I can see the advantages to what Nikon did in creating this camera system. You can find out more about this new camera announcement, the lenses available, and other pertinent information at www.nikonusa.com. Nikonians is an online community for users of Nikon cameras and equipment. They offer a great wealth of information about all things around shooting with and using a Nikon camera. They also provide workshops, an online store, and a whole lot more. Check them out at www.nikonians.org. Now, on to our working horizon, wildlife photography. Being a wildlife photographer is the dream of many persons. There is just something about being out in nature with wild animals and trying to capture these scenes with a camera. I can almost smell the brisk fall air already. First, let's talk about what we need in terms of photography equipment for wildlife. A camera with a fast, continuous shooting mode is helpful. When the camera is capable and set up properly, photos are captured rapidly as you keep your finger on the shutter release. The Nikon D300 sports continuous shooting at 6 frames per second. This is helpful when trying to capture running animals or any other quick action. Digital cameras come in two basic formats, digitally cropped sensors and full frame sensors. Beyond the detailed difference between the two, the main difference pertaining to wildlife photography is that the digitally cropped sensors add 1.5 or 1.4 times magnification to your lens. In other words, with a digitally cropped sensor, it is like adding another zoom lens to your camera. Let's take a real-life example. Suppose you have a 70 to 300 millimeter lens on your camera, and you are zoomed all the way out at 300 millimeters, photographing a white-tailed deer. If you are using a digitally cropped sensor, then add 1.5 times the focal length of the lens to get the actual reach of that lens. In this case, 
Take 300 millimeters times 1.5 to get 450 millimeters. So, by having a 300 millimeter lens on a digitally cropped camera, you end up with the equivalent of a 450 millimeter lens. This can be advantageous, especially if you cannot get close to the subject. Long glass is certainly the first obvious obstacle for any aspiring wildlife photographer. There are several options, some relatively reasonable and some that are quite expensive. The first, easiest, and least expensive option is a 700-300 millimeter lens. As was mentioned in last week's episode, this is a very good next lens for many photographers. Wildlife photographers will love it because it gets you closer to the animal you are photographing. The one drawback to this lens is its limited aperture, which is 4 to 5.6. Opened all the way, it will not allow a great deal of light to come in, and as you zoom in, you get even less light. 5.6 is the widest f-stop possible. Overall, however, this is a great lens to have in the wildlife photographer's kit. The next lens to consider is the 300mm f4. This might not seem like a big improvement over the 70-300mm lens, especially because it is so much more expensive. But you are paying for the light it allows in, even zoomed in all the way at 300 millimeters. It is not a variable aperture lens, which means that the aperture does not change as you zoom in. It remains a steady and consistent f4 through the entire range. So, you gain one full stop in this lens over the 70 to 300 millimeter lens. This might not sound like much, but when animals are most active early in the morning and late into the evening, this one stop of light can be the difference in you packing up your gear and heading home, or continuing to shoot a little while longer and getting just the right photograph you wanted to capture. Another advantage is you can add a teleconverter to this lens. I have the 1.4x teleconverter, which takes the 300mm focal length and multiplies it by 1.4, resulting in 420mm. One stop of light is sacrificed when using this teleconverter, but it certainly does add the, to the versatility of this lens. I only have the 1.4 teleconverter, but there are two more available, the 1.7 and the 2.0. The 70-200mm f2.8 lens is one of my favorite wildlife lenses, and I use mine all the time. It has some features that make it very productive in the outdoors. First of all, it has a wide open f-stop of 2.8, to the entire range of this zoom lens. This really allows a lot of light into the camera, which is critical at dawn and dusk. 200 millimeters is not nearly the same reach as 300 millimeters, but for the bigger mammals like elk and deer, it can work well. It also can be used with any of the teleconverters, so using the 1.4 teleconverter extends its reach to 280 millimeters. If you are a Canon shooter, then the 100-400mm lens is another great option for you to consider. This provides great reach in the 400mm range, and even though it isn't as fast in terms of aperture, it certainly is a lens worth considering because of its price tag of $1,699. Many outdoor photographers are raving about the 400mm f2.8 lens. This is obviously a great choice, because it combines a wide open aperture of 
and a beautiful reach of 400 millimeters right out of the box. The two downsides are its weight, because it is heavy to lug around with you if you do a lot of hiking, and its price tag, which is a whopping $8,999. I know this is a heavy price tag, but serious wildlife photography is not an inexpensive endeavor. This 400mm lens is also good for bird photographers too. My dream lens, and the one I am still saving for, is the 200-400mm f4 telephoto zoom lens. I have heard some mixed reviews in this lens, but I see it having some major advantages that will certainly help me in a couple of ways. I shoot some wildlife from a blind to remain concealed and hidden from the animals I am trying to photograph in their natural habitat. This means that my position is stationary. So unless the animal moves, I am locked into a constant distance. Having the zoom feature of this lens would allow me to recompose the image even from the same location. And since I do a lot of sports photography, this feature is important for when I am on the sidelines of a field trying to focus on a player. The zoom feature is important enough to me for these reasons, but I also am accustomed to shooting with a zoom lens 90% of the time. Combined with a 400mm focal length and being able to use the teleconverters makes this lens very appealing to me. One obvious downside is again the price tag of $6,999. An important piece of gear for wildlife photography is a good sturdy tripod. This might not be as important for other styles of photography, but for wildlife photography it is absolutely essential. Animals are weary of humans and they are best seen at dawn and at dusk when light is slowly increasing in intensity or fading quickly. Low light levels are the bane of every wildlife photographer, so keeping the camera as steady and sturdy as possible is paramount. Using a tripod will increase your photography to the point of increasingly getting better photographs that are sharp tack and focus. In addition to a good sturdy tripod, a quality ball head is the best way to connect your camera body to the tripod. The ball head allows you to move your camera in any direction smoothly. It allows you to take advantage of the sturdy base of the tripod while at the same time allowing you to move the camera in any direction you need. This is critical with moving animals. The beauty of a good quality ball head is that you can adjust the tension of the ball head to allow the camera to stay in place once you let go of it with your hands. This is a very nice feature and makes using a tripod a joy rather than a pain in the neck. Look for a ball head that will support all your photo equipment. The bigger ball head you get, the easier it will be to use. Then once you get it, go out and practice with it. You will quickly learn to use it and you will experience the advantages of this system almost immediately. Another piece of equipment to add to your photo bag is a remote release. Back in film days, these were called remote shutter cables. They allow you to activate the shutter of your camera without ever having to touch the camera itself. This is an advantage because any direct contact with the camera on the tripod could result in unwanted movement. The cable release allows you to prevent any contact and yet fires the shutter release at your discretion. Some other considerations that many new wildlife photographers don't even think about are clothing and environmental issues. When you photograph wildlife, you will be, well, out in the wild. Weather conditions can be unpredictable, so the best approach is to plan for the worst 
while hoping for the best. At a minimum, you want sturdy hiking boots that optionally should be waterproof. I prefer Gore-Tex boots because they keep my feet dry better than any other footwear I've ever worn in over 30 years of being in the outdoors. Next is a good rain jacket. If you can be warm and dry, you can stay out longer, and this makes for capturing better photographs. Camouflage is written off by some photographers who think that camo is just for hunters. I am not saying that camouflage is absolutely essential, but I do think it does help in certain situations. Here's my thinking on the subject. Why not utilize something that might help at least some of the time? When we are photographing an animal, our behavior is perceived by the animal as a predator. We are trying to get close enough to the animal to get a good photograph. This requires stalking, quiet walking, and perhaps even crawling through a thicket. All the while, the animals are watching and keeping alert for any signs of danger. Most animals see us long before we see them. One way to add an advantage to our pursuit is to blend in with our backgrounds. The value of this was brought home to me in an eye-opening way one evening as a friend of mine and I were set up in a field photographing a herd of elk. At one point, we heard a sound from behind us, but we couldn't make out where the sound was coming from. We heard it again several times, and it wasn't until after very carefully scanning the scene behind us, that we spotted two of our friends in full camo hidden among a pile of blown down trees. I posted two photographs of this on the show notes page of this podcast, which shows the difference that camouflage can really make. Check it out and see what you think. I am not suggesting that we always need to hide from our subjects, but sometimes wearing camouflage can be an advantage and a real difference maker. Why not use this to our advantage whenever we can? So, for better or worse, I prefer to wear camouflage when I am out shooting wildlife. Camo is not just for hunters. It can be helpful to wildlife photographers too. One last consideration I'd like you to think about is a blind. A blind is something we usually sit in that conceals our presence from wildlife and allows us to photograph the animals in their natural habitat without their even being aware of our presence with them. I witnessed the advantage of using a blind with my son recently. Before this experience, I did not consider the importance or value of using a blind. In my own way of thinking, it was just something not worth the time or effort to carry. Well, suffice it to say that I am a believer now. A blind can help us photograph wildlife in ways that can get us closer to wildlife than just about any other way I know. I purchased a very inexpensive blind from Cabela's and I love it. It is easy to set up, easy to transport, and very comfortable to sit in. I plan on using the blind more often in upcoming wildlife adventures. Well, that concludes my thoughts on what you need to get started in wildlife photography. You certainly do not need all these items to get started, but they will help you in a variety of ways as you spend more time in the outdoors pursuing wildlife to photograph. I did create a list of these accessories in my B&H photography wish list. I will add this link to the show notes page so you can get an idea of what some of the accessories look like and how they can assist you. If you have any questions or comments about these accessories or anything else, post them on our website at photographyhorizons.wordpress.com.
Let's talk briefly now about a few techniques for wildlife photography. One technique you might find helpful is the aperture priority setting on your camera. This allows the camera operator to have complete control in which aperture is being used. I often like a wide open aperture like f2.8 when I am photographing wildlife. I am usually fighting low light situations and I also prefer the shallow depth of field this larger setting allows. When we use a large aperture, the actual focusing distance in our photograph is relatively small. This tends to blur out the background and helps the animal to pop out on the photograph. I also prefer to have my camera set on continuous shooting. This setting allows me to press the shutter release down and, as long as I keep it down, the camera continues to fire. This is really helpful when an animal is running or moving quickly. Sometimes the action is lightning fast and furious, and this camera setting can help us keep up. We will revisit this topic and provide more in-depth information about how to shoot wildlife early next year, but allow me to share one more technique that I like to use. This is using a button on the back of my camera for focusing on an image, instead of using the shutter release to focus. The real beauty of this technique is I can focus on a stationary subject and let go of the focusing button. Then, as long as the animal stays in this location, it's in focus. I can shift my attention to composing the photograph and getting the proper exposure without having to worry about focusing again. By separating the focusing and the exposure processes, I can worry about each one at a time individually rather than both together. I find this hugely helpful and prefer to keep my focusing button separate and different from my shutter release. Most of the advanced cameras have this ability, and while it takes some getting used to, it does have several important advantages. Okay, so where should you go to photograph wildlife? It is tempting to dream of some exotic trip for photographing wildlife, and I am prone to do this myself. However, let's keep prices down initially and start simply in your own backyard. I am sure most, if not all of us, can attract birds to our backyard with a feeder full of seed. This technique brings the wildlife literally to us. All we have to do is set up, wait, and start capturing photographs of the animals and birds that come to us. The pesty squirrels, chipmunks, and other animals looking for a free meal can help us build our wildlife portfolio right on our own property. Secondly, local parks and wildlife refuges make great destinations for wildlife. Most wildlife here is used to seeing and being with people. This is helpful because the animals won't spook too easily, providing us with some very nice photographic opportunities. Wildlife refuges and national parks are some of the very best places to photograph wildlife. Before going on a trip to photograph wildlife, take some time to do some research. There is an incredible amount of information available on the internet these days, and much of this information can be helpful to us when planning for a trip. Do your homework on this, and it will pay off tremendously. Well, that's all for today. Next week, we will look at sports photography and the equipment you will need to get started in this specific kind of photography. I thoroughly enjoy sports photography, and look forward to sharing some tips about what you need to get started in the wonderful world of sports photography. If you get a chance this week, 
check out Martin Belly's podcast. He shares all kinds of information pertaining to photography, and it's definitely worth a listen. You can hear Martin's weekly podcast at martinbaileyphotography.com. Another favorite podcast I tune into regularly is The Image Doctors. Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker are the co-hosts, and they are very knowledgeable about photography. They share reviews of equipment, tips on packing gear, and practical experience gained from live photography shoots. This is also a podcast I highly recommend, and it's definitely worth taking the time to listen to so you can learn more about photography. Join us again next week to hear about and think about new horizons in your photography. You can find out more about me at www.bobshankphotography.com. And I will have links to the topics mentioned in today's podcast on our show notes page at photographyhorizons.wordpress.com. What's on the horizon of your photography? Copyright 2011, Bob Shank Photography, All Rights Reserved.